None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com. Your source for all things Kratom. Educated in international law and public policy, my guest, Jacob Gentala, co-founded the European Kratom Alliance with other stakeholders. The EKA is working for legal, regulated markets in all of Europe to protect the rights of European adults to safely consume Kratom. How widespread is the interest in Kratom in um, Europe? Do you think uh, more people know about it in the United States, I guess because of the the uh, big legal battle that happened, or mm-hmm. are uh, a lot of people catching on to uh, Kratom in Europe? Generally, when we're talking about uh, Kratom in Europe, uh, we are generally like at least 10 to 15 years behind the U.S. Primarily in some countries is becoming slowly mainstream and i'll say like in the netherlands or in the czech republic uh, this is becoming something that average person at least have heard about but uh, overall when we are talking about uh, kratom in europe um, i would say it's still fairly niche uh, thing and not really many people know about kratom as such uh, myself coming from a very, very political background, where a lot of my personal friends are members of uh, political parties across half of the Europe or uh, people who are politically engaged, who are activists and so on. Uh, never ever heard about Kratom. And then whenever I am trying to explain to them what it is, then generally there is a little bit more positive attitude because I am probably the first person who talks to them about uh, Kratom. But generally, um, most of people don't really know uh, what Kratom is. And if we would go by generous estimates, how many people are using Kratom in Europe, maximum it will be maybe 4 million people so that's just less than 1% of the population of the entire continent yeah and and this is like all of the eu is that is that basically um what you're including Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. basically we're not talking about entire EU and uh, United Kingdom. So yeah. we would be talking about like 455 million people. And out of this, if we are lucky, this will be like 4 million people across the entire continent. And it has to do with like a very complicated legal patchwork uh, when it comes to Kratom and very similar substances. And you may be aware of how it looks like. Yeah, because here, I mean, I know there was an estimate of 15 million. Uh, That might have been a little high, but still out of uh, 330 million or however many people we have here, uh, there's probably about about 10. I'm just wondering how Kratom comes to Europe, because I I mean, I know ours is shipped in a container ship over the Pacific Ocean from Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Do you know maybe like what the trade route is? Because I know it's illegal in a lot of countries. Yeah, it's illegal uh, essentially in like half of continent. Mm -hmm. Generally, half of the EU has Kratom written in, in controlled substance list. And it's something fairly difficult to remove it once uh, substance is being written over there. But uh, as far as I know, uh, there are maybe three or four major routes. One goes through Netherlands, another goes through Spain. And then probably there is also possibility uh, with a couple of other routes well, uh, that would be Germany, for example. But over here, I cannot be 100% sure. Talk a little bit about uh, your background. Mm-hmm. You're, you're pretty highly educated in uh, international law, uh, public policy. You're originally from Poland? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised in Warsaw. I moved to Netherlands about 10 years ago. 
Okay. A little less than that. You have degrees in uh, European studies, political science, uh, law, uh, public policy. That is a good background for uh, being involved with the European Kratom Association. So I guess just uh, explain how how that uh, came together. The oh, European... how it started. Yeah. This is a part of, this is a uh, fairly funny story, also to say. Because generally, when the pandemic started, I was working for a certain think tank. Uh, then eventually, I have uh, lost that job because you know, the think tank that I was working for has run out of the funding. And uh, basically, I needed to uh, start looking for something else. And then around August last year, when the whole debacle with uh, uh, United Nations and WHO's expert committee on drug dependence uh, started that Kratom might be possibly prohibited internationally. I was asked by a couple of uh, people that I know who happen to trade uh, with Kratom what can be done in order to avoid uh, uh, prohibition of Kratom uh, internationally and what would be the consequences. So then, uh, given my background, I just prepared a two-pager. After one hour of uh, back and forth about talking what can be done and how we can prevent future uh, bans of Kratom in the European Union, I was asked if I want to uh, start that project. And basically, that's how I uh, started working for European Kratom Alliance. The way the laws work, I mean, I, a lot of people were surprised to find out that the WHO could have simply decided to ban Kratom and all the member nations, including the United States, that signed on to this agreement would have had to go along with mm-hmm. that. Does the European Union work like that, where it can make laws that all of the member nations have to adhere to? Uh, the way how European Union uh, law works is a little bit tricky because uh, let's uh, like the uh, closest comparison that I could draw would be United States. And, you know, uh, in the US, you have federal law, mm-hmm. then you have state law, and then you have like your you know, local and regional you know, regulations on the county or the city level, yeah. you know, so to say. So you know, the way how uh, EU law works is that uh, uh, European Union has like a um, couple of types of you know, regulations. And what we commonly refer to European Union law regulates about 60% of our everyday life. 60 to 70 uh, percent uh, of uh, our everyday lives here in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, then this law is usually being passed by the European Commission, which is the equivalent of, I don't want to call it federal government, but uh, it's the executive body of the European Union. So I okay. have to more simplify it more or less like that. And then it goes into voting in the European Parliament. Then European Parliament uh, votes uh, about it a lot, then consults it with uh, European Council, which consists mostly of the heads of the nation states. And uh, once when uh, uh, this whole dialogue is being passed, then uh, you have the EU law. And EU law only can regulate certain things. But it doesn't regulate things like healthcare system. It doesn't regulate anything that uh, relates to uh, defense. And also it doesn't uh, regulate certain things uh, uh, related to monetary policy. Like there is a certain overlap, but generally EU law has its boundaries, but it has uh, the same level of reach as American federal law. So whenever uh, a government in D.C. decides that they have to do something, then basically it's superseding anything that uh, the state or the county can do. And uh, over here, in order to avoid like uh, a collision of different rules, 
uh, we have the uh, supremacy of uh, European law above the national law. However, national law can still uh, regulate a lot of things where uh, European Union law cannot really reach. So when it comes to substances or drugs or even uh, dietary supplements, how much power does the EU have over the uh, member nations? Because we know you're in the Netherlands mm-hmm. now, and we know they have mm-hmm. uh, relaxed decriminalization policies, but they're not necessarily mm-hmm. legal. But then over, like, say, in Russia, they're very strict. They don't mm-hmm. own, I think, only vodka's legal. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> Vodka, but, beer, and wine. Yeah, and at the same time, Ukraine, uh, Kratom is legal in Ukraine. So how much power does the EU have over which drugs or substances can be legal or illegal? Okay, uh, first to get something straight, neither Russia, neither Ukraine are member states of European okay. Union. The uh, EU Thank only you. covers about, I would say, 70% of the countries okay. on the continent. So basically, when you are looking at the map, it looks very weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the moment, EU has uh, 27 member states. Okay. Uh, so when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, both countries are not even in association with European Union. However, uh, Ukraine is willing to join the EU, but then we are on the podcast about Kratom, not politics. Right. So I will <laughs> okay. not get into that. But going straight to the point, when we are talking about uh, reach of the European Union, uh, when it comes to food, uh, generally uh, EU regulates uh, 99% of the entire food market. So we have like a very specific safety rules uh, that countries have to follow. And uh, then we have like European uh, Food Safety Authority, which is the equivalent of FDA that approves or disapproves certain substances on the market. However, when we are talking about narcotics and criminal justice system, EU is coordinating certain things, uh, but uh, it cannot really do anything if a member state will uh, decide to decriminalize or legalize uh, certain substances that are on international prohibition lists, say like, for example, cannabis, or, uh, I don't know, maybe even, let's say, Kava Kava or other substance like that. So, for example, we have those UN treaties that are the background for everything, and they are binding for pretty much every single country that signed it. European Union doesn't really enforce that, but uses it as a reference sheet in terms of that, uh, what should be prohibited or what shouldn't be. But member states are deciding on their own which substances are legal and which are illegal. Okay, okay. Um, And a lot of them, I mean, Kratom is legal in the UK and France. And it, mm. it, it seems like many of these countries outlawed Kratom before it was even well-known in the US. 2011, maybe 2013, these were outlawed. How how did they go about deciding that Kratom should be outlawed uh, so early, even before there was probably a noticeable market for it? That's probably the difference in approach uh, between uh, how we are treating like new substances or new food uh, in uh, the EU. Generally, uh, the approach when it comes to uh, new kind of substances that are being introduced to the market is very conservative. There are no safety studies that are typically conducted uh, by uh, national councils that are responsible for drug policies. And instead of just uh, conducting a study that, hey, like, we have this weird substance over here, it's called Mitragina Speciosa, let's check what's going on over there. And then also there's like this, another alkaloid called 7-hydroxymetraginine, Let's check what is it about and uh, let's see if we can uh, do something about it. No, the approach and the bias is fairly strong. 
And basically, uh, governments prefer to outlaw uh, certain substances uh, instead of uh, legalizing them because they are afraid of potential risks. And basically, then it's down to private investors who would be willing to go uh, with certain countries and uh, go to them and say, hey, look, I have more like this amount of studies on that substance. So when we are talking about Kratom, let's say we have like 300 studies uh, about uh, Kratom. Uh, Some of them uh, are human safety studies. Some of them are human control studies. And uh, then we have also toxicity uh, studies, which generally say that, okay, this substance is fairly safe. There is some potential for addiction. So how we can decriminalize it or regulate it? And the approach over here is that generally governments are shutting down this kind of initiative fairly fast. Uh, In Netherlands, for example, right now we have uh, some little problems with uh, uh, shipments of Kratom. Nobody actually knows what's going on. We are still trying to discover more information what is happening because uh, in the last two weeks, a lot of shipments have been blocked. Uh, Hmm. Some have uh, passed through, some are blocked. And we are still trying to figure out who is the person responsible for these decisions. And if it's like the Dutch equivalent of food drug uh, administration that is behind it, or maybe there's some kind of new law with the customs that uh, government has not announced yet for us. So we have to really make research over here. Like not ever government, is fairly positive about Kratom. It's just whenever uh, doctors uh, who are sitting on this drug dependency uh, and drug policies uh, councils hear about the name of certain substance, they will just outright prohibit it, uh, write a suggestion to the national parliament or a suggestion to a health minister, which is typically responsible uh, for uh, prohibition of certain substances. And then they just sign the executive order and done. But undoing this is the whole two-year uh, legislative process that has to go through a shit ton of consultations in order just to make it uh, decriminalized. But if you want to make it fully legal, then, then it's another uh, process that you have to deal with. I mean, it's pain in the ass, so to say, yeah. but that's my job. So I have to be more or less familiar with this process. Yeah, it seems pretty complicated because I, I'm looking at your map that's on um, the website eka.eu. Mm-hmm. It's a legality map. And red, the you have where it's illegal and green, uh, Kratom is legal. And then the, there's these blue states. It looks like Portugal and Scandinavia where, where Kratom is a controlled substance. There's laws where if Kratom can be shipped to states where some states where it's illegal from a member state where it's legal. So but what about uh, these where it's a controlled substance? I've, I've seen in, in some of the, I think in the Scandinavian countries, it's only available mm-hmm. for research and for uh, medical purposes. Is that correct? Mm, yes. And also with uh, doctor's prescription. Okay. So, you know, for example, if you want to get Kratom in Finland, uh, Sweden or Norway, even Denmark, then you need the doctor's uh, prescription uh, in order to get Kratom as such. But because, again, Kratom is not very well known, uh, doctors usually try to avoid uh, prescribing it as a drug or uh, they are trying to seek the alternatives that are fairly known to them, like, for example, uh, tramadol or other opioid-based painkillers. So okay. if you want to use Kratom re- recreationally in uh, Norway or in Finland, that's going to be fairly difficult. Recently, we have a lot of uh, requests from coming from individual uh, people, especially from Finland, who would like to use Kratom uh, for themselves. But uh, when they ship it, uh, say, from uh, Indonesia or somewhere from outside of the European Union, uh, then uh, they have to go to the police station and pay fine 
because yeah, they are importing illicit substance. Okay. Without uh, permission. Uh, however, uh, there is a law of the European Union. It's a very specific treaty uh, uh, that states that if a certain thing is legal in a country, mm-hmm. like fully regulated and fully legal, uh, then it can be legally shipped to another country. We have a site called kratomscience.eu where mm-hmm. um, a guy named Andre who writes for us, he works yes. on most of that. Would you say Kratom uh, through much of Europe is now kind of in a gray area where it's it's it has to be sold as not for human consumption, right, in most of these mm-hmm. countries? Exactly. Is there anywhere exactly. where it can be sold for what it's intended to be, like as uh, a consumable? No. Not yet. Like, we are working on that with one of the European governments from Central Europe. But uh, because I am bound by non-disclosure agreements and those negotiations are still fairly confidential, uh, I am not really allowed to discuss those things in public. However, we are creating uh, a first market in Europe where Kratom will be fully regulated for human consumption, and it will be escaping clutches uh, of uh, European legislation. We have a very helpful attitude from government of that country and the drug authorities there. So we are hoping that uh, we will be able to create an example uh, for entire European Union and to show them what can be done when uh, Kratom is uh, fully legalized because on that particular market, uh, Kratom has been in fairly popular use for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. and it hasn't really caused any major drug epidemic as such. Mm-hmm. Here we have the Deshaies Act, uh, so uh, dietary supplements can be regulated. So not everything, mm-hmm. either something has to be a food or a drug, and uh, this Deshaies would, you know, pretty much regulates dietary supplements as a food, and there's still oversight. Is there anything like that in in European countries, or is it? just it's either a uh, medically approved drug or on the one side or it's a uh, not for human consumption or a food is there any anything like the Deshay act that allows for dietary supplements uh yes generally we have when it comes to food and medicine this stuff is regulated on European Union level, and there is nothing that would go in between of current legal definitions. So we have so-called novel food regulation, which talks about like new foods that, uh, you know, something that is being fairly new designed by like companies that want to introduce it on the market to European Union. Then they have to go through uh, like uh, national, like one of the member states uh, food administrations. So, for example, in case of Netherlands, we would have to go through the Dutch authority. Then the Dutch authority is introducing uh, uh, this to European Food Safety Authority. And then European Food Safety Authority uh, is conducting their research and uh, they are very open to the inputs of that what uh, how this food should be regulated there are like several different types of food like for example genetically modified food the food that has been consumed safely outside of european union prior to year 1997 and that's called novel food then there is also another regulation that talks about introductions of medicines but then marketing new medicine in european union is very expensive and it's usually cheaper to first do it in the united states uh, then uh, uh, basically get all this research that has been done in the us introduced to uh, european medicine agency and then uh, it can be eventually marketed as over-the-counter drug across the entire continent, but this is definitely not the way how we want to regulate Kratom, Mm -hmm. because that would be fairly expensive. 
Yeah. So what what would uh, regulation look like? Uh, what would like a regulated market look like in in maybe the country that uh, you're working with? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, generally, uh, our uh, when it comes to our strategy for kratom in Europe, we have uh, we are working on two way approach. Uh, first, we are working on country to country approach. And eventually, once we are fully set up in certain countries, then we will decide to uh, hit up European Union and mm-hmm. present them with uh, certain study solutions to get Kratom approved as a novel food or eventually something similar, like this is still something that uh, basically European stakeholders of uh, European Kratom Alliance have to decide on. For now, we are working on the country-to-country approach, and whereas we are working with this one specific government in Central Europe, uh, we are uh, trying to uh, create a market that uh, would be very similar uh, to that what you see, for example, in Washington uh, state or, uh, for example, Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you have Kratom legalized as uh, something, like this will be a completely new legal category. And then Kratom will be uh, sold only to people who are above 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we have a complete policy of prohibition of uh, sale to minors. And then uh, Kratom will be uh, sold mostly uh as uh, I would call it uh, mostly as powder because that's about 95% of European market is powder. Then a couple of percents are capsules. And then there's uh, uh, several other things. But uh, for now, uh, we are in this gray zone where we are not necessarily prohibited, but also we are not really completely uh, regulated. And just to protect uh, businesses of uh, my clients, uh, we are working on regulation that will be satisfactory for both the government and uh, also uh, European vendors of Kratom. With the European Kratom Alliance, how big is it and, and are more vendors joining? I mean, the meeting that I sat in on, there was a couple of advocates. Uh, Dirk is more of like a journalist. Uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Rolf is more of an advocate. And then there were a few vendors. How will you be structured? Is uh, the funding sort of coming from the vendors or uh, you mentioned on uh, everything Kratom podcast kind of a legal barrier to accepting donations right now uh, in the Netherlands. Let me say ever since my appearance on everything Kratom podcast uh, things in this dimension hasn't really changed that much because we are still stuck with uh, uh, one uh, bank application that we are uh, trying to get through the approval process for that takes about three to four months. It's freaking abysmal that in 21st century, you have to wait this long to open bank account for any kind of business, right? Yeah. 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 And it has to do with the Dutch legislation on anti-money laundering rules. And basically, for now, uh, there is a group of vendors uh, that is unofficially supporting European Kratom Alliance. Uh, and uh, over here, we don't really have like a, a very official structure, but once we have the bank account uh, and we can accept the proper donations, we can uh, uh, run some business model where we have regular income stream. Uh, then we will definitely start doing something because at the moment we are now registered as a foundation under Dutch law. And uh, basically, we have to wait for some either changes in the law or eventually the moment when we will be able to uh, get a working bank account. Once we have working bank account, then as an organization, we will be uh, in full swing. At the moment, we are just doing work where we have to. Like we are just Mm. putting out fires uh, and working on one long-term project. 
I don't know, like, does lobbying work over there that's pretty much the same as it does in the United States? It's a little bit different. Generally, uh, when it comes to lobbying uh, in European Union, like, we have uh, two types of lobbying uh, in Europe. We have lobbying in European Union uh, at European level, and then we have uh, lobbying in different countries. So lobbying on the nation state level is fairly similar to that which you know from Washington, D.C., where politicians are very much connected with certain lobbies and uh, groups of influence. And it really varies from country to country uh, how much this uh, lobbying is regulated. In some some countries, you have fairly strict rules on uh, uh, how lobbyists can approach politicians. And for example, public servants have complete prohibition of talking to lobbyists. Hmm. So you have, there are several countries in Europe where, for example, my job would be very difficult. But uh, on European Union level, uh, we have lobbying very structured and this is part of the decision-making process. Basically lobbying is enshrined as part of public consultations. And whenever you are working with something very niche or with something very specific, uh, the administration of European Union is typically very welcoming of uh, suggestions uh, how they should solve uh, a given problem. Because, for example, unlike federal government or public administration of any member state, the administration of European Union is very small but they are very effective. So then you have this myth of a great European super state, how Uh we call it. And some of those countries were directly to the legislators. Is how focused do you want to be on on maybe like educating the populations uh, about kratom to maybe generate some public pressure? And how difficult is that going to be with with uh, the language barriers uh, for one thing, and cultural barriers, and and ideas about uh, substances or and whatnot. Oh, this is a really excellent question. And honestly, we are still working out the details over here mm-hmm. because, well, there is like a fairly huge language barrier. And if you would map out the European Kratom market, you would see that Kratom uh, is mostly concentrated in German-speaking countries. So it would be Germany, Austria, in Switzerland at the moment, Kratom is illegal. I think it's illegal since like last three years. And I have to really thank uh, Andra for making all this research uh, for KratomScience.eu because without that, we would be definitely in a gutter when it comes to uh, uh, legal research and uh, we don't have to start everything from the scratch. So uh, over here, we are uh, trying to get like individual people uh, who are working on uh, uh, Kratom, like who are uh, Kratom enthusiasts, to start their own little associations. And uh, for mm-hmm. example, uh, in this one Central European country uh, that I am not supposed to name, we are working already with a local association uh, that uh, has both vendors and users uh, of the uh, substance, so of Kratom. And generally, we can uh, uh, put some pressure both on politicians and media. Okay. But in majority of European countries at the moment, like basically besides two countries in Europe, so far there is no organization or no association of uh, uh, Kratom enthusiasts, so to say, uh, that would be able to uh, mount some pressure on their politicians or media in order to change the narrative around Kratom. 
Is there maybe uh, an effort or maybe a plan to maybe reach out to, uh, say, NCOD or, or other uh, drug policy uh, organizations in Europe to maybe, like, assist with Kratom? I know uh, I had Dr. Steinmetz on who uh, testified at the WHO, and he is now mm-hmm. um, yes. on the board, yes, I Fabian believe, of NCOD. Fabian actually is right now president of NCOD. Okay. Uh, he, like, we are in very close collaboration with him like whenever i have uh, some problem with understanding uh, either the specific uh, layout of chemistry or something uh, usually fabian or uh, dr oliver grundman are first Mm -hmm. people that i am trying to contact and uh, get their opinion are there a lot of scientists or there's is there a particular university working on Kratom? Mm. Just any, just in yeah, general, like, like what's the picture of uh, Kratom science in, in Europe? Cannot give you the answer that will be uh, 100% accurate because okay. uh, we are still siphoning through the studies uh, that are being published about Kratom. Mm-hmm. And so as you maybe know, like each year, there are more and more and more studies about Kratom. Say when uh, it was like 2020, suddenly you have this big eruptions of uh, studies on Kratom. Like I think it was 2019 when you had like barely 25. Then in 2020, you have already uh, 100. Mm-hmm. Then 2021, you also have like 150 or 120 studies that have been published. And now we are not even in the half of the year in 2020, and we have already more than uh, 50 studies uh, that have been produced about Kratom. So this is something very new and very innovative uh, branch of research. Yeah. But when it comes to, ever, according to my best knowledge, Ders uh, University of Maastricht, uh, where we are currently based, yeah. that is doing some research on Kratom. They are doing this independently from us. We are not sponsoring the research. And then uh, there's University of Utrecht uh, that is also doing some Kratom studies. A couple of universities in Germany, but I'm not necessarily sure which ones. And uh, then there's a university in Turin in north of Italy, Mm -hmm. uh, which has been conducting and pioneering uh, studies on Kratom in Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe uh, since 2012. So there's a lot of scientists working on Kratom, but so far we're just trying to gather and reach out to different scientists. Yeah, But that's a lengthy process. And basically, as long as we don't have our basic shit together, where we can streamline our finances, yeah, uh, we don't really have the ability to, you know, pay for the studies, sponsor yeah. something or buy the research. Have there been demographic studies done in Europe, like as to who uses Kratom there and why people use it? Absolutely not. No. Okay. uh, We are, as I said, like when it comes to everything related to Kratom in Europe, we are at least uh, 10 to 15 years behind the USA. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, as the organization, we exist for barely six months. Because yeah, yeah. officially we were floated on the 9th of December. So we will be, yeah, we will have our first six months anniversary yeah. uh, literally in uh, six days. So less than a week. So over here, uh, we are st- like, we are still actually uh, trying to gather uh, some sort of support and see uh, how people are now uh, taking Kratom. But the anecdotal evidence would be suggesting that majority of people uh, use it to cure their pain or manage mm. their pain or some kind of addiction. You know, mm. they are self-medicating. But a large portion of the users, and I think it will be larger portion than uh, in USA, um, we estimate it to be somewhere around like 40%. Uh, would be people who take Kratom recreationally. Hmm. And these are primarily 
a young man in their 20s and 30s. There was just another study that came out that tested local Kratom products where the university was in Richmond, Virginia. They found high levels of manganese that were like 20 times higher than the upper tolerable level. That that was a product that was adulterated. Is there any evidence that there are problem vendors that are selling adulterated products over in Europe? There were some problems back in, I believe, 2016. That That's no, right. There was uh, there was some problem, I think it was in Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Kratom was uh, sold as an adulterated product. Yeah. So over here, no, I, I think it was called Krypton. Yes, yes. But uh, generally, majority of uh, European big players, uh, so uh, our uh, biggest uh, 7 to 12 uh, uh, vendors, those are like the biggest on the market, test their uh, Kratom 100% at the time. So they are always doing uh, laboratory tests. So over here, the market is self-regulating itself. In this kind, we are always testing Kratom for mitragynin content, uh, levels of 7-hydroxy, and then also we are checking it for bacterial contaminations, heavy metals, and so on. Like the basic testing is always done. Uh, no, no, by no, I can uh, I can assure that majority of uh, big vendors are doing that. However, we have also like those little vendors or people who are running uh, sales of kratom as their private, uh, no, how say as their private uh, side venture, so to say. Mm-hmm. Say yeah. some people who were taking Kratom themselves, and then they suddenly realized, hey, I can actually ship it from Indonesia, (laughs) and I can start selling it a little bit cheaper than I am getting it from, say, this big vendor over here in Netherlands or Germany. And uh, for those vendors, we cannot really attest, uh, or we cannot even uh, say if they exist, because this is like a lot of private dealing. And one of the big aspirations of uh, uh, European Kratom Alliance and also our member organizations or stakeholders is to uh, create a self-regulated market uh, where not pretty much every single vendor uh, will be testing uh, their product before selling it. And this is like also one of the principles uh, that we have introduced to the legislation that we are uh, uh, collaborating on with uh, this one government in Central Eastern uh, Europe. Now I'm looking forward to seeing news come out of that uh, when you can when you can talk about it. But other than that, well, what what's going to be next for the European Kratom Alliance? Okay, like right now in our current pipeline, we have project of preparing GMP formulation. We are preparing our own GMP formulation for Kratom that will be loosely based on uh, that what our big brother, uh, American Kratom Association, Mm -hmm. is doing already successfully for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this will be the basis for creation of self-regulated market in Europe, as far as we know. Uh, We will try to make sure that everything that is sold on continent uh, will be fully tested and those vendors who are not testing their product will be pushed out. So we want to end like this gray area where, hey, you don't know what you are getting. We want to work on that at least by the end of the year. We want to introduce a voluntary uh, GMP program for our member organizations. And once we have that and we can start enforcing that, we will be working on more concrete steps. So that's definitely like one of the most basic steps that we're currently working on. At this point, I wish I could uh, say, hey, here's the donation link, everybody, but that's still being worked out. (laughs) uh, Well, technically, we do have working PayPal account. Okay. We do have a working PayPal account. So uh, essentially, if you just use our contact email, contact at uh, ika.eu, uh, you can contribute to some small amounts. 
Sure. Uh, uh, to us. So we can take donations that way. But at the moment, uh, uh, we can only take donations uh, via PayPal. When it comes to cryptocurrencies and such things, uh, Dutch law unfortunately prohibits us mm-hmm. uh, from uh, taking them because of the anti-money laundering uh, rules that we are subject to. So unfortunately, we at this moment in the current legal state in the Netherlands, we are unable to receive donations in crypto. Are people able to buy kratom in, in Europe with credit cards? Because that's that's a um, mm-hmm. that's a problem we've been having here in the United States because um, of the Visa and Mastercard and the big credit card companies have shut it down. There is a possibility of no uh, buying kratom uh, uh, with credit cards. However, I would say because of differences in how Europe is different from USA. Yeah. Over here, majority of uh, payments is done uh, with uh, different means, like how our customers are usually paying for uh, Kratom is by doing instant bank wire. Okay. There are a lot of different national legal solutions that allow for making instant transfer of the money. For example, in Netherlands, it's called Ideal. So you just log in with your bank application and you can pay for your Kratom. Also, you can pay with PayPal. I believe majority of big vendors also have this possibility. Mm -hmm. When it comes to credit cards in Europe, we have slightly different approach to them. Like, you know, in the US, you have like this whole loyalty programs, you have your credit score and so on. Over here, we don't have this sort of stuff. You get some cash back whenever you are making some purchases with your credit card. But overall, in certain stores in Europe, you cannot pay with Visa or MasterCard. Especially in countries like Germany, Netherlands, or Belgium, paying with that is uh, prohibitively impossible sometimes. Yeah. Uh, this uh, That leads me to a kind of a funny digression. I remember when I came to Netherlands when I was still a student around here, And eventually I had my MasterCard from Poland and I would be trying to pay with the card in a normal grocery store. And there was no such possibility because my MasterCard would not be accepted. Instead of there's a European alternative that is also run by MasterCard, which is called Maestro. It's a type of debit card where you can pay nearly uh, everywhere on the entire continent. So uh, that's like this kind of funny digression. And also when it comes to paying cross borders for your Kratom orders, say like I live in Austria and I want to order my Kratom from German or Dutch vendor or maybe even Hungarian. All I need is just their bank account number and the wire is made within uh, seconds. So yeah. we have those means to facilitate like very uh, fast cross-border cross border transactions. And that's generally like one of those weird kinks of European law. I yeah. think it's called SEPA system, single European payment area. In the Netherlands where we know, you know, you can get uh, marijuana coffee mm-hmm. shops. Is there a lot of coffee and tea shops that sell Kratom like that? Um, no, actually, when it comes to Kratom over here, Kratom is sold by, it's not sold as a herbal supplement, because if it would be sold as a herbal supplement, okay. then we would have problems with European Union. Oh, okay. So, and at the moment, we don't really want to have problems with European Food Safety Authority or you know, European Medicine Agency or Center for Monitoring Drugs and Addiction, because that would put us on prohibition list faster than no, we can uh, deal with that. Okay. And at the moment, we have enough problems uh, that <laughs> EU should is our last worry at the moment. Like, definitely, we don't want to deal with the EU on that. Uh, so what uh, we can sell it as, basically, we are selling it as a raw ingredient, you know, which is not for human consumption, uh, as you mentioned yourself earlier. Yeah, yeah. So basically... A kratom uh, has been legalized in several ways here in Europe. 
So uh, because uh, Kratom powder has a lot of different uses than just Kratom tea, uh, so to say, you have a lot of different means uh, such as, for example, making paint out of Kratom. Some people are even using it as a cosmetic ingredient and they are making their own little cosmetics. Uh, One of our early stakeholders is a shop that is using Kratom as uh, to create scent candles. So they're actually making candles and cosmetics out Mm -hmm. of it and it's not just being sold like that. Yeah. Because a, uh, yes. a lot of vendors here used, had sold it as not for human consumption, but that... Mm-hmm. It happens that I believe it's Borneo strain uh, uh, has uh, a very rich antioxidants. Uh, don't mm-hmm. quote me on that, <laughs> but I've heard by uh, some people who are making cosmetics out of Kratom yeah. uh, that Borneo, uh, I think it's Borneo White, Okay, uh, that has very uh, is very rich with antioxidants and has a, a certain influence. Again, there was a study, I think it's from 2018, and that was conducted by University of Turin on uh, antioxidant uh, properties of different strains of kratom, and each different strain has actually slightly different properties and uh, content of uh, alkaloids Alkaloids, uh, that are helping you you with your skin conditions or whatsoever. So that's something that I should definitely look into. But again, I am specialized in public policy or law, Mm. maybe a little bit in international relationships. But when it comes to this sort of stuff, I am completely stupid. It's like black <laughs> magic for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. There is actually one more thing that uh, I should mention. We are working together with AKA and several uh, different groups from Indonesia on creating International Kratom Association. Oh, great, great. For example, we are going to have a meeting later this week with people from AKA about uh, how we can collaborate on uh, on streamlining legal uh, things with Kratom here in Europe and eventually how we can help each other. So there will be a lot of stakeholders uh, coming both from uh, European Union and also we will try to have as many uh, people coming from other side of the Atlantic. Thank you very much for doing this, Jacob. And um, uh, it's my pleasure, uh, Brian. Yeah, and and just let us know if there's anything you want to get out there, uh, any any developments, uh, press releases, or anything you want us to mm-hmm. to help us out yeah. with in terms of communication. Um, but yeah, Definitely, I really appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, yeah. Like, thanks for having me. I am very very happy to uh, be on your podcast. Yeah, have a great day, and I hope that everybody who is listening to us in Europe. If you have any kind of problems with Kratom, please just reach out to us and uh, we will do our best to help you with whatever problems you have. Just write us at contact at eka.eu. Thank you, Jacob Gentala. And you can send a donation to that email on PayPal, contact at eka.eu. Check out kratomscience.eu. There's extensive research there about Kratom in all the European countries. Please like, subscribe, share, rate, review, comment, share on your social media. Music is Memories of Thailand by Risey. Kratom Science Podcast is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.